teacher, servant, leader, rector, reverend, deacon, elder, what the hell is the pastor? Listeners, we realized the sound cut out, and so I want to jump us to an eschatological question. Is that like, is there a part of, of uh, something being what we would derogatorily call a cult that involves like an existential threat or an eschatological threat, like hell for evangelicalism, or like the aliens are going to come and, you, do you know what I mean? Like, is that necessary? Which cult, which cult believes in the aliens coming? What science? <laughs> but is that a part of it that like that you must you must do these religious things in order to stave off a horrible outcome? Well, I think that that's complicated. So, like, I think terror and fear used as tools and wielded by power is bad. Uh, and I think that's true, not just because I'm a 21st century liberal cuck, which I am. <laughs> okay. <laughs> no, no. Not just because of where I'm situated, but because I think that I think that my understanding of the faith kind of talks like that. You know, that Jesus often talks about perfect love casting out all fear, and and, mm. and Jesus is and, and, John. John talks about and, that, and we're we're that as well, you know. Like, <laughs> yes, fine. The yeah. authors of the Johannine epistles talk about Whatever, that. you know. But yes, the New Testament and the Old Testament, you know. Really, like, didn't Jesus write at all? Yeah. Remember that, uh, you weren't in that. My, my Church History 1 class with Charles Harrell. Do you guys know Charles Harrell? Yes. Oh, God. I took, I took History 1 with Harrell. Harrell. I took like yeah. Methodist History with him. I, I understand why not everybody likes him, because he's who he is. But... Uh, I saw a moment of genuine pastoral concern from him my very first year where uh, this poor person um, was was in Church History 1 and he went through the canon, like how the canon was developed. Mm -hmm. And this older woman asked him, Dr. Harrell, which of these texts were written by Jesus? Um, and Dr. Harrell laughed. Like not in a, not an unfriendly way, like in right. a in a that's a good joke. Like yes, that's a fun <laughs> joke. Yeah, that's a good one. And and then and then realized was like oh 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 my um none of these were written by Jesus. Now this woman might have been in her sixties, and if I was in my sixties and I made it to seminary and did not know this, I'd have ran screaming from the room and like. I would have been like, you know what, you know, this is it. <laughs> but uh, yeah. Anyway, side thing. So I think that there's something, something to it about when we when we weaponize fear and terror and death and all that in that way. I think there's something deeply antithetical to uh, at least the New Testament sort of vision for. You know, uh, life. Like, I'm not saying it's antithetical to Christianity. Christianity has been doing that in one form or another for, for you know, hundreds of years. Um, but I, on the other side, like, I, I cannot, I cannot think of an ideology or a worldview or a political any anything, be it the theological, religious, or whatever that doesn't sort of fall back on a there will be disaster if you don't do this 
Yeah. You know what I mean? So like from from purely from that perspective, like like I don't think that's clear cut. I think that yeah. we can start talking about like deception and like and like I said, like the weaponization of fear, which sure. I think is different than like uh, than 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 a climate change scientist getting up and saying, "Hi everybody," you know, like we're right. about to kill the Earth. We right. need to change this. I think that's actually that core, this uh, 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 not a hard distinction between the two, is one of the things that causes different people to reject climate change scientists. Oh, yeah. Um, uh, out of out of this rejection of you know like well they're just using fear and lies to promote their agenda. We're not going to give in to that. You know, and, and this kind of overly positivistic sort of view of what the earth can be and what human beings can be, I think occasionally sort of leads to a lack of maybe a realism, right? In the early 80s, I, did you guys have to read this? We, we read, I think in Systematic Theology, I think, we had to read the joint declaration from Catholic bishops on de-arming the world of nuclear weapons. I had read that, but I didn't read it systematic. I have not read it. Okay. Well, it, it's it's long, but it, it's it's quite interesting. In, in the early 80s, the, essentially, the entire Catholic Church was like, hey, we just got to get rid of nuclear weapons because we can destroy the earth. And, like, we're talking about the unraveling of earth. Like, this is right. this is bad, you know. And, and, and But I wouldn't consider that cultish. Right. You know what I mean? There's, there's a difference between fear-mongering and... And like seeing the writing on the wall and yeah. reading yeah. the writing on the wall out loud. And then maybe that goes back to the your question about how do you do smallness without falling prey to a cult of personality? And it's that like um, you have to be able to have that kind of balance from other people who are also seeing that like this problem that you are noticing is a problem that's going to impact all of us. And then that way you can say that, like, no, it's not an unfounded fear. Yeah. Yeah. And, and so, like, so, like, sin, right? So, like, I think doctrines and theologies of sin are at their strongest when they are um, able to speak to realities both outward and inward, you know? Mm -hmm. and, and, and so, like, a doctrine of sin that, that you know, is really hardcore on sex is... Mm -hmm. is obviously damaging problematic. We talked about this podcast. We agree with that. And one of the reasons for that is because it's magical thinking. Mm -hmm. Right, right. It's not it's not really rooted in you know, so why is hating people a sin? Well hating people is a sin for two reasons. One, there are outward consequences that that impact the fabric of people made in the image of God and creation in a in a dozen ways, right? You know, so like hate leads to that. There's also this inward consequence that that we don't want to trivialize where where you know the 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 sin of hatred also leads to a a turning inward on yourself and and, and a deadening of compassion and a deadening of of these inward virtues if you will that we're supposed to have as, as Christian people and that's not magical thinking that's 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 naming a reality theologically Right. That is a reality, you know. Yeah. But like doc, but but like doctrines, you know, where where we talk about sin as being rooted in 
oh, well, we've lost my virginity, I, therefore I'm a sinner. Well, virginity's not real. There's there's no right, there's yeah. no physical thing about virginity. It's it's sort of made up, and and it's not that. This is actually why, like some of the the work on you know that Paul when Paul talks about what can be sin for some, it might not be sin for others. Is actually right. quite is actually quite profound yeah. because we discover that that yeah, I mean if 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 you're doing something that does not have outward consequences or inward consequences then perhaps it's not a sin perhaps it's you know at least that wouldn't be magical thinking yeah i mean like you think about um there are people who have addictive personalities there are people who have a history of alcoholism in their family and so for them indulging in alcohol is something that would be particularly dangerous for them and would have these negative consequences but for somebody else who can just have a drink then like then it's not a problem and yep. yeah and, and i think that uh, i think that when we start thinking about people as um all manufactured by the same machine i mean we tend to be like all humans have the same problems we have the same sin we we deal with all those things in the same way when that's just not true we all have yeah uh, different things that apply to us so there's a lot of similarities there are a lot of things that we share but yeah yeah which is kind of a step away from cults so what how does hell fit into all this jill well for me um it it is that uh Evangelicalism, as I have experienced it, is um, is does not have that um, self-critical aspect of it, and then it also gives you this sense that like if you do not follow this specific thing, this specific way, then you are you are not part of the people that are going to be saved you're not part of the in group you are in the out group and the out group is the people who go to eternal conscious torment mm, yes um, the infernalists mm. <laughs> and like and, and i i did not think that i had internalized any of this until my therapist is like well what what's the worst that could happen and i was like eternal conscious torment like that that's the worst that could happen like why aren't you getting this and so, but, but it's, there is a level of, um, it's that manipulation and the, um, the fact that like playing on fear is so central to it and there's no getting, mm. like getting that fear out is so difficult. Um, and once it's there, like it's so hard to pull out. So I don't, yeah, I don't know how that really actually fits into a discussion about cults because I was really gunning for the the mm. eschatological consequences as being a facet of it, mm. but I guess it's not necessarily. Maybe not uh, eschatological consequences, but like there is a like big crisis coming. Mm. Maybe yeah, because because like I don't think I don't know. What the, I haven't read anything on Scientology. I have not participated in any of their meetings. I have not. I haven't read the literature. <laughs> I, haven't, I haven't. I haven't read the pamphlets. I haven't uh, had my xenons tested or whatever it is. Zenu is the head of the Intergalactic Council. Right. Right. Yeah. Um, but I think I, I think about like, you know. 
join us and the join us and or the uh, aliens will get you. Like that's not an eschatological right, thing. Right, you're right. That, that's a. I mean, time will continue after an alien invasion. In so in that way, like for the evangelicals and for uh, not just the evangelicals, this has been a thing that Christian tradition has been wrestling with since Dante um, in the, the Renaissance, but like there is this like play along with us or this bad thing is going to happen to you. It's not, it's not framed in this grand eschatological narrative or I guess um, it's fair. Yeah. It's, it's behave or you're going to be in fire for a really long time. Right. Um, yeah. And you don't want that. Yeah, I mean, it's there. It is that like evangelicalism portrays itself as the truth, and the consequences for not understanding the truth are eternal and dire. And I feel like that is an aspect of being a cult that the people in the cult have the truth. Right, right. And if you don't have the truth, you will suffer the consequences. Eternal, dire, and personal. Yes, yes. Privatized. Yeah, yeah. Ooh, that's maybe. that's a good. That's a that's a. It's not. It's, it's not a, a, a. There's not a, a corporate or communal collective element going on here, apart from the fact that well, I need to win souls for Christ to get more jewels in my crown. Yeah, so I can be. So I can be in the super heaven. I can be the prettiest princess in heaven. <laughs> <laughs> that's what it is. Just, She's hot. That's that's what Eric Mussolini wants. <laughs> Eric Eric Metaxas is how I believe he pronounced his name. <laughs> I don't know that for sure. Maybe <laughs> Metaxas. Yeah, the the distinction you're making on eschatology, I think, is good, and I think that's right. Um, I think that doctrines of hell. This is going to sound like really weird. I think that doctrines of hell are at their most sophisticated when they are placed within an eschatological vision. You know, okay. what I mean by that is, it doesn't mean I agree with them, but what I mean by that is, is that they don't, they don't just serve as punishment for people we don't like, but, but they serve as, as a, a quote-unquote necessary part of the story of God's uh, salvific work of creation. Mm-hmm. I think, so like Irenaeus, um, even though, so like I love Irenaeus, I love him dearly, he's a second century theologian. Um, even though I think that his theology naturally leads to a kind of universalism, in his writings is very clear. He believes in an eternal hell. But Irenaeus places that eternal hell in his vision of Jesus' history of recapitulating humankind. He, he, doesn't, he doesn't just say, therefore, we're here and you're not here and, and there you go. He, he places that uh, vision, uh, he places that in his vision of of God's defeating of the devil and, and you know, and, and uh, remaking humanity and remaking the earth, you know, in all of these ways. Is it still problematic? Well, yeah, I don't agree with it. I don't think there's an eternal hell, but like, I at least see it for what I think Irenaeus is really trying to make it, which is a coherent story where there's some kind of maybe justice or some kind of maybe sense for second century Christians who are in the midst of persecution who, right. who are um, you know surrounded sort of on all sides not only by the Romans but by these Gnostic heretics that you know Irenaeus was 
is his his community, his Christian community, was working against a Gnostic group that uh, was abducting women and like sort of brainwashing and forcing them into being a part of this sex cult. Right. Like in here, and 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 we have sources to confirm it. It's not just Irenaeus who's talking like this. You know, there there are other people saying like. I get it, you know, yeah. like, I, I wrap my brain around that. Yeah, and I think um, that's why uh, the book of Revelation, too, has these really strong images of consequences for these things. But it's written to Christians on the margins and is meant to be this this kind of empowering critique of empire and all these kind of things and the only language that they have for it but then what do we do now we take this thing that was never meant for christians in our position and say that like well this tells us what the future is going to be like there is going to be a lake and satan is going to be thrown into it and there will be fire and that is where you will go you sinner in that literal lake god's literally going to make a lake of fire i'm like you sound like an infant like, like <laughs> you're not making any sense right yeah i mean it's, it's just a fundamental misunderstanding of the book but then that is like hung over the heads of people who have no idea what Revolu- revelation says because they've never gone to read it for themselves and when they do go to read it for themselves all they have is the image of revelation that was given to them that um, you left behind yeah yeah well and but it's also the same thing with the, the outer darkness in Matthew or, or any time that Jesus is like, people will be cast out and there's weeping and gnashing of teeth. Like, um, I, I, uh, the, I don't know what Jesus meant by that. A trash heap outside of Jerusalem. Like, we don't have what sure. Jesus is pointing to, but we do have people who say, well, but you know he means hell, though. Yeah, and maybe that's that's sort of the issue, right? Like, I think the issue is is our, our approaching these sort of New Testament texts that uh, we, we really don't totally know what they mean. You know, not, right. not really. Like, all of the sort of little apocalypses in, like, Mark and Matthew, I don't know. Like, I'm, sure. I'm not sure. Like, I don't know what any of this means. Like, uh, and, and even Revelation, like, our best guess is just our best guess. You know, right. that, that's... But we know what it doesn't mean. You know, it doesn't mean the 16th century vision of hell, because that would be impossible. Like, like why, right. why would it mean that, you know? This vision of hell that's very much rooted in Renaissance European feudalism. Right, right. right. Yeah. It, it, it most certainly doesn't mean that, you know? Revelation is obviously not a... a uh, the map on the back of the Declaration of Independence. <laughs> sure. You know, that, that we need Nick Cage to read for us. There's some layers to that because Nick Cage was in the most recent Left Behind. Yeah. Yeah, he was. And so it all, like... It's great. It's a good one. It comes back together. Uh, so, so we believe that the tradition has developed over centuries, right? Christian tradition has. We, we have grown theologically, maybe, beyond what the gospel writers had. So why is why have we grown in some areas, but our understanding of hell is not something that we're going to say we grew in? I mean, I think that it goes back to, for me, everything goes back to Constantine and the Constantinian conversion when uh, 
suddenly Christian, you're a Yodarian in this one way. <laughs> Everything else is uh, no, John Howard Yoder, dumb, except for this. <laughs> I didn't read that reading in Power, Sex, and Money, so I don't know what yeah, you're talking that's about. That's fair enough. <laughs> you showed me. <laughs> Sorry, Sandra. Uh, uh, just, no, like... Put some respect on Dr. Wheeler's name. Anyway. Sorry, Dr. Wheeler. Uh, no, so, like, it's... When, when Christianity gets proclaimed to be tolerable by the state and then absorbed by the uh, by the empire sure uh, i'm not going to use state language um uh absorbed by the imperial uh, empire sorry imperial empire yeah the, <laughs> the imperial way of life right uh the imperial order <clears throat> um this kind of like image of of hell is a is a good way to keep people in line and a good way to like uh if if being uh, a member if being a citizen of the empire means also being a christian we need you to we need to hold this over your head so that you your christianity uh and your imperial citizen shit status are so interlinked that you got to be a good christian means you're a good citizen of the empire right sure i mean and that's what we do in america today too as right well. yeah. yeah yeah um i look at i look at the the his, the scope of christianity over the the past 19 50 years or so um however when you were want to start the beginning of christianity um, <laughs> like the past like two thousand years, nine hundred and fifty years. Oh, gotcha. Yeah, I got. Gotcha. Yeah, <clears throat> uh, I look at the the scope of Christian Christian history as like that Constantinian conversion being a turning point for Christian history as well. And like, sure. you have everything before Constantine and everything after Constantine. And there's been a lot more after Constantine than before Constantine. Sure. I can get behind that as as a, a possible explanation. I actually want to reject Joe's entire idea of growth. Okay. And, and I just want to say that, you know, if it is a growth, it's a circular growth. And so it just kind of expands that way rather than uh, growing kind of in a straight uh, line. So, like, I think that, I don't necessarily think that we are sort of more sophisticated theologians. You know what I mean? Okay. Like, um, I don't think that that the past is more necessarily more sophisticated either. That's not really what I want to say. I think that we're constantly kind of going back and forth and up and down and kind of all over the place as things change and we need to try to make sense of it. You know, I think about... Um, the 20th century's movement in theology and, and their, yeah, their, their reading of certain trends in 19th century, but also like Eastern Orthodoxy's reclaiming of patristic stuff and the Catholic Church's move towards existential philosophies. And, you know, there, there's lots of things that like we kind of go in and out and back and forth on. Like, like humanism is like at its height. 
Yeah, yeah, you know. And and um, I guess what I'm saying. So, like, like the thin tradition of, like, universal salvation, right? That's always been there. There's this sort of thin tradition of universalism and things like that. And, uh, and there were a lot of patristic writers who believed in certain forms of universalism. And there were a lot of medieval writers who believed in different forms of universalism. And that trend continues, you know, like there's universalists in every age and they make similar and different arguments for it. And it's the same thing with infernalists, right? Like it's, yeah. it's similar and different arguments, drawing upon different things. Like, you know, you've got free will arguments for hell that are rooted in 18th century libertarian conceptions of freedom that are in no way, you, you cannot argue in the fifth century because that just idea doesn't exist you know so i don't think it's like a why has our doctrines of hell not grown with our theology i don't know if that's true i think it's i think it's just sort of one of those um one of those things that has a lot of uses like ian said you know it has a lot of uses for people in power you know hell and fear and all that but I also think it st sticks around because I think it speaks to a part of humanity that makes sense to us, you know, yeah. right? Like that part that says, well, there should be losers. <laughs> that, yeah, that just makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. That doesn't make it right. But, but like, I, I think that that's another reason why it's stuck around in that way. Yeah. It's a very, it's a very uh, <clears throat> Western view of humanity. Yeah. Oh, yeah. For sure. <laughs> but, but I like the idea... Uh, I like the phrasing that uh, I I like anything that challenges the myth of progress, and sure. so by saying that like it's not it's not growth, it is reapplication, or it is yeah. I, I think that that kind of diffuses um, the power that anyone who wants to like hang hell over your head has. Like when you say, but no, like you are part of this much bigger story. You are not the inevitable end of the story. You are one set of people trying to understand it. And I can disagree with those one set of people. Uh, but when that one set of people projects themselves as we are the ones who understand it the best, we're the ones who studied it the most, we're the ones who know the truest truth, uh, when really they're part of a much bigger tradition that's still puzzling things out. Like that, that feels yeah, yeah. a lot more organic to me as opposed to this kind of rigidness that you find in evangelicalism. Right. Like, remember, I think, I think, the, I think the thing about evangelicalism that is the most annoying is, is, its, is its failure to understand its place in history. Yeah. yeah. That's the most annoying thing about it, be, because it's unassailable then. You know, it really is the American religion. It really is. Right. You know, it's, ahistorical. It, it's ahistorical. It's more of an idea than anything else. You know, it's, and so there's really no way to kind of, kind of get in it. You know, if 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 you think it's the eternal, timeless religion, yeah, I mean, then you don't want to hear about how well, you know, with the King James Bible. That's that's one of the fundamentalist things. But the King James right. Bible is the Word of God. I mean. So what did people do prior to the King James Bible? There is no prior to the King James Bible. Friend. Friend. Yeah. They were in darkness. <laughs> they were in darkness. <laughs> you're, you're, you're willfully making stuff up. You know? 
right. Yeah. I think it also has to be said that um, for those very earliest Christians, the uh, had a far more limited eschatological scope. Right. Than, I think that's than, true than we do. Like <clears throat> those first 10, 20, 30, 60 years after Christ, uh, after the Christ event, like the the prevalent or predominant understanding of the eschatology was that it was like happening next Tuesday. Oh, right. yeah, kind absolutely. Of a thing. Absolutely. Uh, and do we still have people today that are like that? Yeah, yeah. The rapture is going to happen tomorrow. Yeah. Fine. Um, but like by and large, the, the, the mainstream consensus is that you know, we don't know when the, the Christ comes again. We don't know. Um, but we don't necessarily think it's going to happen. We don't have the same eschatological urgency right. that, that the early Christians had, yeah. which maybe might be to our detriment. Like, I don't know. Oh, I don't know. Um, they got shit done because there was like this urgency. Fair. Fair. Well, I think this is a good place to leave it. So, John Wesley, would you sign us off? Absolutely, absolutely. Uh, this has been another mini-sode of What the Hell is a Pastor? We are Spanx, Reebok, The Dude, and I am John Wesley. And we will see you next time. <laughs> <laughs>